0: The following presentation is a Barrett Sports Media production. He's connected. Jason Barrett says, I'd like to see you here. The answer is when, where, what do you
1: need? Respected. He's got a long and distinguished career in the sports radio business. Truly one of the titans of our industry. And unequivocally invested. This
0: is the place to be if you're in the sports business. He is Jason Barrett, and this is the Jason Barrett Podcast. Now bringing you in depth conversations with the best and brightest in sports media and shedding light on the industry's biggest opportunities and challenges. Here's the The president of Barrett Media, Jason Barrett.
1: Greetings. Nice to have you here for the Jason Barrett Podcast. I am Jason Barrett. Just got back from a quick trip to Tuscaloosa and Birmingham, Alabama, where I watched the Alabama Crimson Tide roll over Vanderbilt. Not exactly a heavyweight college football matchup, but it was the fourth stop on a fall tour I'm taking across the country. Having never seen Nick Saban's team live at home, I was eager to check it out. The light show and the videos that show Saban and his team coming out of the tunnel for the start of the game in the second half, they were absolutely awesome. Overall, very cool vibe. Plus, you've got to love tailgates that include free barbecue, good beer, strong opinions about Urban Meyer returning to college football and people losing their minds over Auburn Jesus returning to deliver a miracle. If you missed it, the Tigers came back and beat Mizzou on a crazy play. On today's episode, I'm joined by a talent who's very well-rounded and heard every morning across the country on ESPN radio. Jay Williams had an incredible college basketball career at Duke, and he was on his way to likely doing big things in the NBA until an accident changed the course of his life. We spent our time talking about his broadcasting journey because I know most people who follow sports are well aware of Jay's basketball journey. I think you guys will appreciate the candor and the perspective he shares during our chat. That's coming your way in just a few minutes. But before we get to that point, let's dive into this week's edition of What I've Seen or Heard.
0: Attention. Attention. Have I got your attention now?
1: A report from Richie Witt of Sports Illustrated in Dallas came out last week that 97.1 The Eagle was getting ready to rebrand as 97.1 The Freak. The station will feature a daily lineup consisting of Ben and Skin and former ticket superstar Mike Reiner and former 105.3 The Fan host Jeff Cavanaugh. The plan was to introduce a third sports brand in the market, and take aim at the fan and the ticket. I had a few texts and DMs come in over the weekend asking me what I thought of the move, and I thought I'd address it here. First, I love it. I think it can work provided management is committed, and the brand keeps making moves to get stronger in the weeks, months, and years ahead. There's never a negative to more sports talk and more opportunities for people to work. When you look back at Dallas Sports Radio, ESPN 103.3 at one time was a formidable brand when Randy Galloway was on the station. He had top program directors there like Scott Masteller and Tom Lee. The station eventually became less of a focus after ESPN stopped running it. Galloway proved that three shows can exist at the same time and still perform. Over the years, the fan has obviously gotten stronger, and even though the ticket remains the top dog, Keep in mind that when both brands are clicking, ratings and rankings tend to be high. If they can combine to generate 15 to 20 share points, that tells others that there's an opportunity to cut into the ratings pie. But perhaps the best example has been Ben and Skin. They moved to 97.1 The Eagle three years ago. Since doing so, they've been a consistent ratings force in the market. I haven't seen the latest book, But in prior books, they won the afternoon drive battle. Now, some will say they're not a quote-unquote sports talk show, but the ticket wasn't built on hardcore sports talk. It was driven by guy talk, and that's a lane that Ben and Skin excel at. Most in the market connect those guys to sports talk because it's where they built their brand. And had they not done well, maybe the eagle doesn't become the freak. The bottom line Ben and Skin's success and relationships with people like Reiner and Kavanaugh, not to mention Mark Cuban and the Dallas Mavericks who now run their games on 97.1, are a big reason why this move is able to take place. Though the Freak will launch with some top talent, and that should be attractive to local fans, the questions that remain are, how will the ticket counter and what will the fan do? Does anyone else make a jump from one of those stations in the near future? If you look at what's transpired in recent years, Reiner retired from the ticket, and the station lost some top producers and on-air contributors, but most of their on-air team remains intact. The fan, on the other hand, lost Ben and Skin, then Kavanaugh, which created changes to G Bag Nation, a great show led by Gavin Dawson. They also lost a top producer in Troy Hughes, who was part of Sean and RJ's morning show. That said, the station has good talent still, Great play-by-play with the Dallas Cowboys and Texas Rangers. A good Petey and Gavin Spittle. So as long as they and the ticket stay consistent, they should remain a big part of the local listeners' routine. They've both proven they're established brands. It's up to 97.1 to disrupt that. That being said, if 97.1, the Freak, can add to its roster, market its product, the talent they're sending out each day should generate interest. Ben and Skin already have a proven formula. And if they can move their audience to other day parts to enjoy Reiner and Kavanaugh, this is going to be a fun one to follow. The big word to focus on with all of this, consistency. If you look at the challenges that brands have dealt with over the past three to five years, it often comes down to an inability to be consistent. We saw it on the national level with ESPN Radio, and if you look right now to Miami, it remains a challenge for Odyssey running both WQAM and 790 The Ticket. Whether it's a digital brand like Dan Lebatard's Meadowlark Media or Ethan Skolnick's Five Reason Sports, listening in South Florida is going to continue to move elsewhere if consistency isn't provided over the airwaves. Given how many people have left or been let go, Jonathan Zaslow just last Friday being the latest, there's a surplus of people for a company to make a run in the format there. And that's why this Dallas situation was possible. When good talent like Reiner and Kavanaugh become available after Ben and Skin depart, you can gain traction and create a strong brand in business. The questions moving forward, can they be consistent, add more, and do enough to change habits in a market where two respected sports radio brands already exist. Given the track records of those involved, I'm expecting Three's Company in future ratings and revenue conversations. Well done, sir. If you have any thoughts on the Dallas sports radio scene, my inbox is open, jbarrett at sportsradiopd.com, or as usual, find me on one of the social outlets. But now let's shift from the local side of the industry to the national stage. Jay Williams is part of ESPN Radio's morning show, Keyshawn, Jay, Will, and Max, which includes Keyshawn Johnson and Max Kellerman. There's always going to be affiliate love for what Mike and Mike built in Morning Drive on ESPN Radio. But after a very bumpy first year with Zubin Mahenti guiding the show and then going through some health problems which required... Alan Hahn to step in temporarily until Max moved in. ESPN Radio's morning show has finally settled in. It shows how important it was to add a top talent like Max to drive the show and allow Keyshawn and Jay to settle into their roles. We got into some of the growing pains of the morning show and went through a number of other subjects as well, and I think you're really going to come away from this with the fondness and appreciation for my guest. That, of course, being ESPN's Jay Williams. Yo, listen! Obviously, everybody knows your basketball career. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because I'm going to talk about Jay Williams, the broadcaster. And so Mm. to do that, we got to go back to the beginning. You grew up and born and raised in New Jersey, right? 99 is when you went to Duke. So I'm thinking back to those days. All right, that's the Mike and the Mad Dog heyday. I'm curious, like, when you're in high school, Do you pay attention to sports radio? Are you watching sports television, like interested in broadcasting? Or are you just so focused on playing sports at that point, being a teenager, you haven't even thought about that world at all?
0: So I looked at sports broadcasting as a death spiral. Um, It was like a psychiatric ward, in my opinion. (laughs) Because, you know, I I, I paid attention to athletes. I paid attention to a ton of sports. Um, And we never really used to listen to a lot of radio. Frankly, the only radio we listened to in my house was NPR. My dad was always caught up on international news. It wasn't really until I went to uh, I was starting to be recruited by Villanova. Guy named Steve Lapis was the coach. And John Celestan is a guy that played for Villanova. And uh, John and I played for the same kind of like AAU club called New Jersey Demons. And we worked out a ton. And John used to kick my ass all over the place when I was younger. And I remember we went to a game and it was like my first like real college Big East experience. And the shit that I heard people say, JB to John and to Ibraflus was another player on this team. Like it was beyond me. Like people repeating horrible things about their mom, uh, saying things about the way they looked as a kid. I'm just like, Oh my goodness. And I remember being home and my dad having I forget what station was on, I have no idea whose voice it even was. And literally just hearing these people shred, shred a guy that I knew was by far one of the best players that come from my area, right? <laughs> exactly. I, but I'm I, like I'm talking about like completely Jason undressing this guy. And I'm like, damn, like I, he kicked my ass like a couple of years ago. <laughs> like, what's gonna happen to me? So like my dad and I started talking it about around him because my dad was like, look as an athlete, you never need to pay attention to this stuff. But obviously when you go to a place like Duke, it's hard not to. And I, uh, I felt victim to it a couple of times.
1: So obviously you, you're playing sports, you go on to college, you have an incredible run, you get drafted high, the motorcycle accident, you know, the, it happens, it changes your life, changes your career. Now I remember a few years ago, this is back when you had a book out, you were doing the media rounds. Now I remember you talking openly about, some of the battles you went through and you were open on television about going through a suicide attempt. And one of the things that I, per- two of them, that's right. And one of the things that jumped out that I still remember here we are like six, seven years later is you said that after one of those attempts, the next day you woke up and you watched TV And you said, maybe that could be for me. (laughs) And I'm thinking to myself, as you're just sharing that information of how you looked at sports talk and sports television as like the psych ward. I'm going, first of all, what show was on television that told you you should go into this? (laughs) And secondly, what made you say, I want to be in the psych ward?
0: I, I think going through being the guy, Jason, and then being a guy on the street. It mm-hmm. was a very humbling experience for me, and being addicted to oxycodone and oxycotton was—it um, was the one numbing factor in my life that allowed me to compartmentalize what was my reality and what was my alternate reality. Mm-hmm. And going through that drinking heavy drug stage in my life because I was angered at myself Uh, when ultimately one day I did wake up, which I thought I wasn't going to wake up. I, I remember seeing Oprah on TV in one of her sit downs. And I don't know, it was, I found myself years later being at Oprah's house in Montecito and having a conversation with her where I was just blown blown away because it, It was the same exact feeling that I had that morning when I woke up and the way she spoke to me about who I was. And I I think it was at that moment, not only did I recognize, okay, because I talk about I have been angry with myself where it was always, why me, why me, why me? And then for something inside of me that day to click, why not me? Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm strong enough or my shoulders are broad enough to carry this kind of weight and be better from it, and use it as a catalyst, as a vehicle to evoke change in in my life, and hopefully for others, Yep. but it kind of fit into how I looked at being a player, I mean, I was kind of a crazy player, Jay, Mm -hmm. I was was kind of a guy, I would go zero of eight from the field, but because spending time with people like Kobe Bryant, he would always say to me, you are what you tell yourself you are, you are what you tell yourself you are, so I would come into huddles and be like, "Yo, I'm hot. Give me the ball." And dudes like, "Yo, but you're not hot." I'm like, "But I'm hot. <laughs> I'm hot, right?" So I guess it was when it flipped for me. I was like, "Oh, this is this translates to what the game on the court was. The same principles are applicable here." And if I get into broadcasting, if this is what I choose to do, like, how do I come at it from a different vantage point, other than just typical broadcasters that want to have hot skewing opinions or just want to be polarizing to be for polarizing sake like i actually want to pay attention to your habits i want to pay attention to your tendencies your nuances how you interact around people because all these things have happened to me right and right you have a
1: vantage point because you understand what they're going through
0: and how do you humanize people right. you know and i've had some experiences that have been great i've had some experiences. I've even seen you guys react to it that have not been so good that they've been learning opportunities for me. But like, I'm not going to back down from anybody. And people know my intention. Like, I want to do good. Yeah, I don't go on TV just to say stuff because I want to evoke a reaction one day. It's truly what I see and how I interpret what I see.
1: Well, let me ask you about, you know, this line of work requires being able to handle the noise and you're mm-hmm. going to deal with that when you're in a public spotlight, you got to like performing in front of the public eye. Everything you do is dissected. I'm curious, like how much did being a star athlete going through being under the microscope at Duke where everybody, I mean, you're a star there, your top pick, as we talked about, how much did that prepare you for this?
0: Duke was incredible, right? Um, Coach K taught me way more about life than he did about the game of basketball. I actually reposted something that Kevin Alley, who was my mentor when he was at the Milwaukee Bucks, only about an hour away from Chicago. You know, we would go to uh, churches before games when we would play the Bucks. And he's just somebody who's been around in my life. And he was saying, you know, each and every day for a lot of these young players or just people in general, when you're allowed to walk back into your home after going to work, like, that is one of the most underrated privileges of all time that people will take for granted. I, I think being at Duke, Kay was able to teach me a lot of that kind of stuff. But I think one of the interesting styles that Duke has, and a lot of other schools have this too. And, you know, I, I hear Justin Fields just went through this at the podium the other day where he was truly authentically being himself, right? Yep. But there's something about, relaxing and being yourself in front of the media that can leave you to hang and dry so at duke i got taught how to play the politics of the game it didn't matter what you asked me i didn't really need to answer your question i could dance around a question in a heartbeat and answer it in a completely different way yeah and skew the conversation towards what i wanted to talk about right i would never let you put me on the (laughs) corner um but you know when you start getting into media And it's something I would even say to Draymond Green when you start talking for five, 10 hours a day, it's hard to be strategic and kind of literally crystallize everything that comes out of your mouth. It takes a lot of attention when and it's tiring. It's inevitable something's going to slip. It's inevitable you're going to be authentically you. Yes. You're gonna have to deal with some of the repercussions that come along with that.
1: I was asking about, you know, dealing with the noise. And obviously, when you go into a high pressure position like morning drive on ESPN radio, and you're taking over from a guy in my Gollick who had been a fixture in that spot for two decades. I'm curious, you know, there was so much attention put on the morning show when when you, Keyshawn, and Zubin took over. What was that first week and month like in your guys' world? We
0: had never met. We never met. Um, I had no idea who Keyshawn Johnson was as a person. Mm -hmm. I had only seen Zubin in the hallways a couple of times. It was really challenging also because he is a person you have to learn how to deal with key. Yep. Right. Right. Um, Give me the damn ball. Right. Yes. (laughs) Once again, like studying nuances and and people, I I had to do research on Keyshawn and, and see this bravado, but also see the person behind the bravado. Right. But it was also hard to do it during a pandemic. There is a lot of anxieties. Um, My wife was pregnant during the time. I was also doing NBA countdown during the time. There was a lot going on with Mm -hmm. NBA countdown during the time. Right. There was a lot of jockeying behind the scenes, um, talent, corporate people. There was a lot going on. So, I think just managing all that was confusing was disorienting and it was hard. I mean, plus, you know, Zubin had health issues. Yeah. He was from the West coast. He spent a lot of time to the East, but he was homesick to a degree. Uh, I was afraid to be around a lot of people, but yet I still had to do my job. I ended up catching COVID during the NBA finals, missing the whole NBA finals, quarantining at the Fister hotel. Um, not really getting a chance to spend time with my son who was born for four months because I was on the road doing the morning show from four in the morning till 10 30 in the morning, and then doing NBA countdown from six until one in the morning for three and a half, four months straight. I didn't know Jay, whether I was coming or going, man, it was hard for me to think. I was
1: going to ask you, when did you, you know, you, everybody's got this moment where you're sitting there like, did I get into the wrong thing? Is this going to work? Everybody could see there was talent on the show, but Talent on a show doesn't make a great show. Talent being in being in sync with each other. You mentioned how a lot of people I would talk to would be like, "These guys didn't meet. <laughs> they got put in a room. Here you go. Go run the network in morning drive. That's a big responsibility, and it takes time for those things to work." So, at what point were you sitting there going, "What the hell did I just sign up for?"
0: I mean, I i, I don't think I've ever thought about what the hell did I just sign up for. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not built that, that way internally. I mean who I am is I'm going to keep sharpening my knives for me. I was a casual football fan, but now I feel like I can talk football with anybody. I can even talk nuances and strategies. And, and, you know, here's the one thing I feel like is my superpower, Jason. I can network my ass off. Now I can, I can find myself in rooms. I I have a good business sense to me. Uh, Hence why working with Kevin and rich got involved at the inception of, you know, a a vertical within sports business. I pay attention to it. I study it. So for me, this was more craft oriented. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now I get a chance. Like, oh, I pay attention to Mike Greenberg very differently. Yep. Like I know who Chris Mad Dog Russo is, but I'm going to start listening to him and I'm going to start defining who I am in my space. And I think there are challenges that come along with that, but you got to keep at it, man. You got to keep getting shots up in the gym. And for me, it's all about reps. 10,000 hours to be an expert at something, it was time to put in the work. The only problem was it was hard to figure out who I wanted to be and who I was in that space. When you feel like, you know, when you're up until 1 o'clock in the morning, then you're coming back at 435 in the morning. It's hard to put together and crystallize your thoughts and have them properly articulated out of your mouth for four and a half, five hours. (laughs) I'm tired. And I slur and I say dumb shit when I'm tired. (laughs) I do. I I can't hide it.
1: It's who I am. So, well, and then on top of that, I mean, you guys go through a show change a year in. I mean, Zubin is off. Max is coming in, you know, bigger personality, a different style. So now everything you just spent a year trying to figure out, all right, what, how's this going to work? Now you got to reset everything because the good thing is, Max, you know, had some familiarity, you probably have watched first take. And so there's just some crossover there. But doing you know, watching a guy perform on a show versus sharing a studio with them four hours a day still takes time for everything to gel. So what was that early start like for you? Did were you at the point when Max got put on where you went, it is going to take us to another notch and you're excited? Or are you sitting there going, damn it, we just put 12 months to get somewhere. and Now we're having a reset.
0: Before Max even got on the show, we had Alan Hahn, who was on our show for five months. And Alan really helped me find more of my voice, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I, I get that football is king, but I still believe the best content is when you're able to bing, bang, bing, bang, bing, bang. We go from talking about Aaron Judge going for his 60th home run and tonight having a chance to you know, break Roger Maris' record to then going to, you know, oh, Serena Williams, you know, she's retiring from tennis along with Roger Federer. Then we go to what's happening with the Lakers and, and, you know, and Kyrie Irving and his stance now on COVID and how will that affect, you know, what's happening in Canada with Toronto and the Raptors. And then we go to what's happening with the bronze and Deshaun Watson getting the highest guaranteed contract in NFL history. I like things going beep, 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 beep. Yep. And before it was a Zubin, it was a little bit like Kego – Expound, Jay fit in, and then we tie it together and it was over. So for me, I had found my voice. I was like, oh, there I am. This is who I know I can be. And then when we brought Max on board, I was like, okay, this brings the show to another level because Max is very, very talented. But then, you know, now Max had to learn how to drive the show. Then it went from me saying, okay, here's my analyst voice with all these different sports to now, how do I become pseudo host again? along with implementing my opinion but now balancing how do i let max cook a little bit jason yep and how do i let key cook and then when do i pick my spots to cook but i also like i don't have crazy ego so for me like i want the show to sound the best and i like when it moves and if that's some segments where I, maybe i don't get my shot off that's fine but I, i'm gonna get my shot off eventually and understanding how that works but i think it's feeling it out as it goes.
1: You know, I'm glad you brought this up because I was listening today on the day that we're taping this and I I heard Max drive the Aaron Judge segment. And then I go back yesterday and when he started the Justin Fields segment, he came to you and you had a lot to offer on it. I go back a month ago and you guys are talking about LeBron and his winner bust mentality and Keyshawn drove it. And I listen to shows all over the place and oftentimes you'll hear the host Okay, it's time for Aaron Judge. We go to the baseball guy. He goes first, Mm -hmm. and the other guy reacts. And it's essentially saying, hey, look, he's the baseball guy. He's the football guy. That's what you know them for. That's what you care about. In your guy's case, that's probably the biggest area of growth I've seen with the show is it's a well-rounded show now. How have you guys gotten to that point with making sure that the in-show content execution – is getting everyone involved, and sometimes, like you you just mentioned, how if you don't get your shot for a segment, you're okay. Like how how did you guys get to that point as a show where everybody's willing to check their ego at the door to do what's best for the show?
0: Uh, I mean, first off, it comes with time, right? Time spent working together, understanding cadences, understanding uh, themes and narratives that we can drive. Like, and and I'll be honest, I love fucking with people I work with. <laughs> The best shows are fans getting a chance to listen in, being a fly on the wall with how it would be inside of a locker room. Yep. Right. So here's what happens inside of a locker room. Hey, Max, you know, I don't know if Justin Herbert's it. What? You don't trigger, right? Max yeah. here's Justin Herbert. He's going on a soliloquy. He's on a <laughs> diatribe. And I'm like, oh, got him messing with him. Or, All right. Key joking with me about, hey Jay, you look like Debo today in that shirt. I'm like, yeah, because I am coming. I'm bullying you today, Key. I'm gonna (laughs) bully you today, right? Or saying something with Key like, Key, you know, like you're not as good looking as you think you are. Me, like Like, so, like I just and look, it's gonna be a series of ebbs and flows. I mean, we have four four hour shows that we produce. Yep. So, oh, you're on TV for four hours. No, like. From 6 to 7 is a show. From 7 to 8 is a completely different show with a completely different audience. Same with 8 to 9. Now, all of a sudden, like, we're focused more on New York City and things that are happening within the city. 9 to 10, it changes demographically. So you get a chance to repeat some of the same topics, but the way we go about it changes each time because we're allowing each other to cook off one another yep. and bring back thoughts and also make fun of each other. And that's what it should be. That's what a locker room is.
1: You said something I've got to ask about because I love this because I've spent two years at the network, and I remember when I would produce Dan Patrick. I'd come in one day, getting the fist bump. You guys are crushing it in L.A. and Dallas. Everything is great. The show is awesome. Yeah, all right. We're on the top of the world. Next day, guys, we got to talk. This show is a mess. We're getting killed in New York and Chicago. What the hell are you doing? I'm like, wait. Yesterday, we were good. We were in L.A. and Dallas on top of the world. Today, we suck. Because New York and what do you want me to do? I can't make New York and L.A. feel the same thing when we're talking about Aaron Judge. You know, like the the Laker fan wants LeBron, the Yankee fan wants Aaron Judge. So, what do you want me to prioritize? And it would always be the hardest damn thing in the world. And, you know, and they'll give you the research and tell you, like, well, these are the five personalities that matter the most. So, talk LeBron and Aaron Rodgers. How do you guys, as a show, dis- determine? This is these are the markets that really matter. And this is what we're going to do from a content strategy standpoint. And, you know, let, let the chips fall where they may, if you will.
0: Well, obviously, we pay attention to big markets. We, we pay attention to Chicago, um, you know, which it's always funny because Dave Kaplan is a really good friend. He, he does Chicago out there and he actually interviewed me when I first got drafted by the Bulls. We have a good relationship, um, you know, talking about Justin Fields and the Bears and Matt Eberflus and Ryan Poles, who I spent time talking to on the phone and talking about whether you know they're going to build a dome and how that's going to change the perception of Chicago sports within that city, that, that's something we focus on, right? You understand, okay, like certain points, like we're going to have to focus on that market. It's easy to focus on L.A. when you have the Dodgers, you have the Lakers, you have the Clippers, who so we'll see if they ever get healthy, yeah. right? Um, the Kings. So and in, in New York, you know, right now, I mean, between everything that happened with KD this offseason, between what happened with the player that the Knicks didn't get, when you think about Donovan Mitchell, who I spent time with this summer who lives an hour away.
1: Don't even so, get me started as a frustrated I, lifelong Nick fan.
0: I saw him, and this is also what we do, Jason, which I think is different, right? Like, I don't know if you you've caught it. Like I have learned, like, I call him Uncle Chuck. So Uncle Chuck <laughs> and I had to go to one of my really good friends, Jordan Cornett. He lost his brother. He did this uh great charity out in um in Cincy. And it was myself. Uh, JC and Uncle Chuck all on a private plane, right? And we're flying out there and we're just having like the best conversation. Like we're we're talking about gambling, we're talking about live golf, we're talking about Kevin Durant, we're talking about Joe Burrow, we're talking about my team, the, the Giants, 2-0. That's right, baby, 2-0. I want to beat Dallas on Monday night. And I felt I was like, yo, this is what sports is to me. So yeah, there are markets for us to focus on. But at the end of the day, I want to talk about interesting, cool stories that I feel passionate about. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it, it can hit certain markets. Sometimes it may not. Yep. Like, you know, like one of the things we're talking about tomorrow is like, you know, it's a, people are asking, has Tom Brady lost it? Even though he led the league in passing yards last year, has he lost it? And I'm like, well, I don't think Tom's lost it. But you know what? Like a lot of people always... Jay, you're killing it. Jay, we saw you on your podcast with this guy. We we see you on ESPN debating first take. We see you, you know, back in the day with the boardroom doing all these things. I'm like, yeah. And you know what? When I go home, my wife is like, I don't see you enough. A lot of times, that translates into my work. Yep. But hello, Giselle is saying Tom is not present. That has to affect you. Like, mm-hmm. we're gonna talk about it, and we're gonna give real life experiences that we deal with on a daily basis, like every person does to try to bring that. To life for people and help them relate and acknowledge it.
1: And, you know, you brought up the busyness and how your wife will bring that up. And, you know, you're not just busy with the morning show on ESPN. You've got a podcast you do now for NPR. You mentioned earlier how your dad grew up on it. So I'm sure that had to be a really cool family moment when you, you know, you get the opportunity to go there. Stephen A went down this road with Odyssey where he's doing a podcast outside of sports. Jalen Rose has done some things with the New York Post outside of sport. What concerns, you know, did you have, if any, of creating a separate media entity from ESPN?
0: Well, I have, uh, I've always been an entrepreneur, Jason. And I think going down the road with Kevin Durant and Rich Kleiman taught me a lot about the business of media and the the power of the athlete production module, right? and owning your ip and you know forming relationships from a distribution perspective i do believe that the future in media uh, for a lot of big media companies is to become partners with talent and what they're building and investing if the deal points match right to then own a piece of it because what's happening right now unless things continue to get carved out like there's so many opportunities for athletes and individuals to build their own platforms, right? It, it it makes sense, and 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 that sometimes is a little bit of a challenge, where a lot of your, a lot of your meat and potatoes from a finance, a generating revenue perspective, are into. Like I tell you, it's a challenge. Like first take, right? Like everything's a debate, and what happens with that, which is why Key and I always do make mention. Like no, we're not debating. Like, we're having conversation about it. Yep. It's a slight nuance, but the way you promote and market yourselves to people coming from that ESPN brand, I think is important. Mm -hmm. Because not everything in my life is a debate. I don't like how everything's so polarizing all the time. So I think that coming from shows like that, where athletes are like, why would I want to talk to those people? They're talking about salacious things. Now it's like, oh, okay, like, well, we're discussing the nuance of Justin Fields, Like, that's more inviting to have Justin Fields come on our show and talk about it, even if we do have a strong POV about it. Yeah,
1: even if he disagrees, he'll say, I respect the insight, the opinion. It's not personal. Like, when you talked earlier about, you know, the New York psych board of what you would hear in the 90s, sports media today is a lot different than it was back in
0: 1999. Agreed. And back in 1999, I was ready to fight people. (laughs) I was like, honestly, that's what sports media made me do, right? Like, I mean, I even had an article on top of my bed from seth davis who it, because become a really good friend that literally called me overhyped and like now it was based upon the game but like that just fueled everything i needed right yeah. and every time i saw seth on the sideline like i wasn't talking to him i was going yeah. the direction you know it was so awkward <laughs> that it was so incredibly comfortable for me yeah. um, but that's how it's changed So you
1: recently had Carrie champion on your podcast and while she, she wasn't over the top with criticism of ESPN, she was matter of fact about talking about how, you know, she didn't feel free when she was at the network and, you know, she didn't feel like she could object the way she wanted to when stories were covered. I'm curious because that's separate, but yet you also have the ESPN masters you got to serve. So, when when moments like that happen on something separate, how do you navigate that internally? Because, you know, the world of media, there are going to be some people who go, Jay, no problem, do your thing. And then there are going to be people oh, who are you putting someone on who's nit- nitpicking ESPN. But you can't control the answer. That's where it goes sometimes. So how do you navigate it?
0: Uh, that's called journalistic integrity, in, in, in my opinion. And uh, at that at that moment, in that particular time, I am not Carrie champion. I am somebody objectively on the opposite side asking about her experiences and how she has perceived her time at the network. Um, And look, different things happen to different people. Um, You know, and it's not like when something like that happens, I'm going to stop somebody and say, well, that's not true. You're telling me your truth. Yeah. Like, that's why I've invited you on my show to tell me your truth. So does it get complicated from time to time? Sure. Uh, But once again, like those words aren't coming from my mouth. Um, I'm just asking the questions that my brain naturally takes me to. And I think that's what makes me good at my job.
1: I've always said, like, you know, it's uh, the same when I would work on stations, programming or producing. It's You know, we don't take interviews with conditions. We'll ask questions. I don't control the answer, but we're going to ask the questions that people want to know when we have a specific individual who's got a story to share and so if they give a harsh answer or a soft answer it's their answer but we've got to do our job and we've got to ask the question and you can't like if you were going to do the podcast and say okay look we can't touch anything that might not make ESPN happy then you'd sit there and say well then maybe I shouldn't do the podcast (laughs) like maybe I'll do it when I know that I have the freedom to do it the, the way that I'm comfortable and if people trust you They'll let you get through it. Um, I'm going to wrap with some rapid fire in a minute, but I got to ask you because you brought up first take. I would watch you sometimes on there, and it looked like from afar you're getting like super frustrated and annoyed with Stephen A. and Mad Dog, right? Which for me is entertaining because I, I know what I'm signing up for when I put the show on. How is it debating with those two different from getting into a discussion and debate with Max and Key?
0: Yeah. Huh. Um... I think Stephen A. Smith, as it relates to debate, and and, and Max has this ability to, they're they're different levels, right? You know, Max is super smart, but what I've learned, I think a lot of the art of debate is studying tendencies, studying habits, right? So with Max, I think I've recognized that there are certain narratives that Max has told himself that... Are his truth, and he will go down those rabbit holes. Yep. You can pick apart. You can pick apart those narratives if you pay attention to what he says and jot things down. Yep. Because he ends up talking. You know what I mean? And I I think that's also a little bit with Stephen A. Stephen A. Is the master of pivoting quickly, right? Like I'll give you an example of Stephen A. Pivoting that, and these are things that I sit on and I wait until I'm on to have fun (laughs) with them. So it's like you know he always talks about well, it's fluid. You know, it, it's in you know, my list. is It's fluid. I had the Vikings four last week, but now the Vikings got beat by the Eagles, so now they're they're not even in my top twenty. I'm like, is that fluid? Is that fluid? Or <laughs> Kyrie? Like the way he went at Kyrie all of last year, all of last year. Well, you know, some people don't like to come to work. Some people don't like to be here. Um, and then all of a sudden, for him to flip it. Literally last month, like, I'm choosing Kyrie Irving for my MVP. I'm like, no, no, you you can't do that. But I, I, can I tell you the trick for Stephen A., Jason? And this is what I recognize, too. He is like a preacher at church. Yep. And if you've noticed how my cadence has changed. Yep. Yep. And when I start talking like this and I get you on the edge of your seat and then I get the momentum to build up to a place where I go, boom, I got <laughs> this. Is, so like there's a delivery style. Yeah, with, he's, he's, he's like, a performer. He's and But what you recognize, though, Jason, is by the time this dude is performing, you've been talking for five minutes <laughs> and you just said the same thing different ways. So then for me, I'm like, I'm trying to get in. I'm trying to navigate. It's like sparring with someone I'm like, jab, damn it. I want to throw a hook. All right, guy's moving around. And he's dancing too damn much. So like, he's able to master, like masterfully, do this. And by the time, like, you have to like either cut him off or get in there, and it it always turns into fun. But also for him and I, like, I feel like we really joust. Yeah, it's kind of real, which yeah. I like. like. Stephen A. is my boy, but I like I don't need Stephen A. Smith. Stephen A. Smith to be my best friend. Right. I need him and I to have great TV together, and we yeah. do that when we naturally disagree, and it's me learning how to interject over him, which, I mean, that's kind of like what brothers do, right? That's what, yeah. that's what locker room arguments are like.
1: Listen, that's why, you know, people talk about him and Mandel. They get at it and it's loud and it, you know, when they're on, it's going to get loud. So <laughs> it's not the end of the world. It's entertaining, you know, yeah. but you know, it's, that's what it's going to be when you put it on and he's, He's a master showman. I mean, he's always been that way ever since I first saw him on TV, going back to when he was on CNN doing sports. So the guy is, uh, you know, he, he's able to provoke, get you to react. And he's, you know, to what you touched on with the different cadences. I mean, you're right. He'll say the same thing three different ways, but they're all entertaining. So <laughs> keep watching.
0: But, Jay, la- last thing I'll say real quick before we get into Robert Fire I think the most challenging aspect of my job is when you're entrepreneurial. And you're working within the media, you recognize the value of relationships, right? Yeah, um, with agents, with owners, with players, with other media members. And that is a very delicate line to walk on a daily basis. And I, I saw you and Dimitri one time talking about, you know, a learning opportunity that I had with Kevin Durant. And I, I think that's a that's a prime example, right? Like I am never going to be the person that approaches media from this perspective of, Now it's my turn to swing back at you publicly. Yep. You know, uh, I have built my whole brand on being unapologetically honest with myself. And when I mess up, I'll own messing up. Even like another example that happened about a tweet that I sent out, like honestly, during that time, I I hired a team that I worked with, right, that was helping me with a lot because I was dead tired all the time something to happen, I'm not going to throw somebody under the bus. <laughs> Listen, a- I can relate
1: to that. You know, like yeah. you mentioned, I've got a team now, like when I started BSM, it was me three years in, I get a few people. Now we've got a staff of 25. I don't tweet on BSM staff. It ain't hmm. me, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. It's always going to be connected to me because yeah. I am the Barrett and Barrett sports media. So like I, I had the same thing with the website. We write stories. They're under BSM staff. Something goes up. JB, you're killing me today. I'm like, I have no idea what the hell you're even talking about. I'm on a damn client call right now. But you know what? It's my brand. So I'm responsible. And when, you know, if we screw something up, I got to be the guy that picks up the phone and goes, yep, we'll fix it. I'll fall on the sword because I'm not good to your point. I'm not going to air out my guys. They're all trying their hardest They're doing 40 stories a day. (laughs) They're putting out 250 posts between every social channel. Guess what? If we get 249 out of 250, we're doing pretty well. But you know what? You screw up one time. That's what people remember.
0: Yeah. And especially when you live in the public eye, like my wife has always told me, this too shall pass.
1: Yeah. And and people love
0: to throw things back at you. Oh, you were like that. None of that stuff like. I guess like the last line on my, on my pod that I say every time I'm like, and remember stay positive and let's keep it moving. Yep. Like that's what you have to do in our industry. Like if not, like you'll be beholden to everybody else's past and things that they want to categorize you as
1: well. And it goes back. The new cycle changes within 24 hours. You can be forgotten in 24 hours, but for 24 hours, it may suck for a day, but it's not the end of the world. Exactly. Let's do some rapid fire. Odds of Coach K getting into the sports media industry,
0: what, what would they be? Actually, pretty high. I just think from a, a, a different way. Uh, I mean, master classes, things of that sort, tutorials, talks, you know, appearances, I think pretty high, but it, it'll be censored properly.
1: Marcellus Wiley said Max Kellerman's the smartest host he's ever worked with. Spot on or way off?
0: No, spot on. Spot on. Yeah. Um, Spot on, but also really funny because sometimes Max can't remember what the hell he just said two seconds ago. <laughs> but spot on.
1: Either way, he's gonna grab the clip of this where you just said he's the smartest host that anyone's ever. Yeah, he'll worked just with. play that part. Trust right, me. exactly. Yeah. On a scale of one to ten, Keyshawn Johnson's impersonation of Chris Mandod Russo deserves a what?
0: Ten. It's a ten. I mean, it's it's really good. I mean, he's been he's been doing it for a long time. Obviously, there's a lot of practice. With that impersonation. So I give it a 10.
1: And then if, if I take away Draymond Green from the conversation and I ask you one NBA player who could be the next big basketball media star, who stands out?
0: One current NBA player. Yep. I would probably say if he wanted to because I've spoken to him before, but he would do it in such a – he has a different demographic. It would be different. I'd probably say John Moran
1: interesting that's good
0: you got the whole rapping community down there in memphis yeah he has a lot of hooks a lot of different plugs like there's almost like uh he's like a newer version of ai but for 2023
1: nice that's interesting i'll keep my uh i'll watch his career the next 10 years every time he talks and go all right tnt espn you guys be taking some notes here Jay will gave you the scoop 10 years
0: early. Man, he says some pretty provocative stuff now.
1: Yeah. All right, last one. One future broadcasting goal for KJM and yourself.
0: I think I would, for lack of a better terms, I think KJM has a legit shot in the sports world at becoming the breakfast club. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, we are so uniquely different. Like, I would say, like, being black is not being monolithic, Right. Uh, Max Kellerman is very different like we like hip hop we like heavy metal we're into sports like I like cricket I like volleyball key is like uber bougie with certain things but still very raw Uh, Max feels like he's a rapping star but he's not (laughs) Um, but like there's a very human a very human ass side to us you know like he went through losing his daughter Yes. on on air um you know i've talked openly about my mother you know almost losing her multiple times having my third child literally going through a little bit of a midlife crisis at 41 years old not knowing like what my life is changed i have three kids now nowhere i'm like what the hell's going on right so, um max losing his brother you know going having eye surgery today so i i think that would be a major goal for it and i i think the other thing is uh to own my own media entity, which uh, I'm on the verge of doing in a pretty big way. And uh, I, I think, you know, owning IP, I think I have a very good eye for talent. I think I have a very good eye for what athletes or individuals can own their own production shingle with us being the back source for back office. Um, I think there is a a future in having a collection of brands. Um and, and having some fun with that and, and being a collaborator and being a partner with ESPN in a different form. Thank you for listening to the Jason Barrett podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe to this show on iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, Amazon, YouTube, or wherever you consume podcasts. And to stay in touch with Jason, follow him on Twitter at Sports Radio PD or read his columns on BarrettSportsMedia.com.